Well, good morning, church. I hope you got some joy in your heart. And if you don't have any joy in your heart, I hope by the end of this sermon and this service, you will. We've been talking a lot about singing the last couple weeks from this, a lot of us coming insights from a book called Sing Loud, Die Happy. And uh, we've been asking some questions and trying to answer those. Why should we participate in singing? Uh, How should we participate in singing with all of creation? I like to sing loud in the shower, um, but not so much in public anymore. Uh, And so today we're going to kind of tackle the question, when should we sing? You know, when shouldn't we sing, right? There isn't a season in our life that we shouldn't be singing. We sing at birthdays. We sing at funerals. We sing at weddings. We sing in the car. We sing at baseball games. We sing in the church. And at times in our lives, we sing a sad song when our hearts have been broken. I want to make sure you catch Grace Marie's sermon in the uh, uh, sanctuary. She's preaching a great word on singing in Exodus, singing in exile, and singing in eternity. And I want to deal with some of that, but I've read her, her sermon, and it's really, really good. You don't want to miss it. You know, in the Old Testament, Mount Horb is where the Exodus begins. It's where God calls Moses from the burning bush to go and set God's people free. It's in Exodus 15 that we have the first song in the Bible. It's about the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. It's about the victory that God's people experienced at the Red Sea over Pharaoh. Now, it seems like the Mount Horeb church has been on an exodus, not for 40 years, but it sure feels like 40 years. So I'll take a moment of personal privilege and say that five years ago, we sent out a congregational letter to the church uh, expressing that the United Methodist denomination was moving in a different direction than Mount Horeb and many churches around the country and around the world. Differences about doctrine and discipline leading to some irreconcilable theological differences, which led Mount Horeb into a season of of discernment and decision, a decision to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. This past Tuesday at the uh, South Carolina Annual Conference, 113 South Carolina churches were graciously approved to leave the United Methodist Church. And more than 5,300 have now left across the U.S. Now, it's been a difficult time, but we never stopped singing. It's been a challenging time, but we never stop preaching the Word of God. And I'm very excited about the future God has for Mount Horeb and and the birth of a new uh, Orthodox Methodist movement in South Carolina. Now, throughout this process, we've tried to lead with both compassion and conviction. And there's a myth or a misconception going on in our culture today that if you disagree with someone, you must fear them or hate them. Or to love someone, you must agree with everything that person believes in. I don't believe we need to compromise our convictions uh, over compassion. I think you can have both compassion and convictions. And this church has demonstrated that very effectively through the years. So I want to encourage all of us to continue to move forward with compassion for all people, but also to hold on to our convictions. Now, in this sermon today... I'm going to be a little bit retro. I want to share a little bit of my testimony 
about how God's gift of song changed my life. It, it, it certainly affected my mission and ministry and also how God's song can change your life. So if you're able to stand, we're gonna read a short scripture reading from Colossians chapter three, verses 16 through 17. Would you stand? Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our Father God, we thank you that you have given us your word. And throughout your word, we find songs. We find psalms. We find worship. And Father God, may you take these words and the words that we've sang today and the words that we will sing and use them to change our lives. Use these songs to equip us to help change the lives of other people. And ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I've learned in my life as a Christian and what I've seen throughout the church is singing is a means of grace. Singing, worship, songs are a means of grace. I love this definition of a means of grace from Dr. Timothy Tennant. Means of grace refers to all the ways Christians go stronger in their faith and grow in the grace of Christ. All the ways God has appointed to convey his grace. Now, the two most familiar means of grace in the church is baptism and holy communion. Certainly in these rich moments, God conveys his grace as we remember the two sacraments that Jesus instituted. But God also conveys his grace by the reading of his word, by the hearing of God's words preached, through prayer, through sacrifice, through serving the poor. But we also know that when we sing and when we worship, we are drawn into the presence of Jesus Christ. That song can lead us to a spiritual birth. That song can lead us to a spiritual awakening. That songs can give us clarity on God's calling and direction for our lives. Songs and singing is a means of grace. I know for me, when I was 14 and I was in that small little church in Kentucky and the Lord began to convict my heart that I needed to invite Jesus Christ into my life, they started singing just as I am. And I think it had to be, it felt like at least the 14th verse before I felt the need and the, and the push from the Holy Spirit to go forward in that little church and kneel down and give my life to Jesus Christ. Every time I hear just as I am, I remember that God used that song to convince me to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe you have a song in your heart. That song that was being sung whenever you finally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Or perhaps it was a song that was being sung when you said yes to God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go serve you somewhere. I'm going to go step out in faith and follow you. 
And it's my prayer that you've never heard that song, that's never spoken to your heart, that today that will happen. Now, I grew up in the 70s, child of the 70s, and one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long time is the movie The Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen it, I've recommended it to the uh, folks across the way over there. I recommend it to you, many of you, the younger crowd. But The Jesus Revolution is how God used a movement to reach a lost generation, a generation of high school and college students who were strung out on drugs, searching for meaning and free sex, just doing whatever they wanted to do. And they found that those kinds of things did not bring them meaning, did not bring them satisfaction. So God birthed a movement through Calvary Chapel. And one of the key parts of that movement was music. A whole new kind of Christian music began to be spread across the land. And uh, it's, just, it's a great movie. So if you haven't seen it, watch it. Then Lynn and I then watched a documentary called Jesus Music. And it traces the formation of the music of the uh, Jesus Revolution all the way to today. It's got all the artists from then to now. It's a fascinating uh, documentary. But two things stood out to me in that documentary. One was uh, an event that happened, in, I believe, in Houston or Dallas uh, in the early 70s, where tens of thousands, 70, 80,000 young people gathered together for a Christian music festival, all contemporary music. Now, again, the church was preaching against that music because it was of the devil, because it had drums and guitar and electric and all that stuff. Synthesizers, you know, you don't do that, you know? Uh, and uh, that's just for the moody blues, people thinking like that, you know? Anyway, uh, but they put this festival together and, and all these thousands of young people came. And guess who was behind that music festival? Dr. Billy Graham. Dr. Billy Graham said, we've got to reach the next generation. And music is going to be one of the ways in which we reach this coming generation. What a powerful statement to the church that if Billy Graham says it's okay, it must be okay. <laughs> then fast forward to 1994, whenever a kind of a new approach to contemporary music came forth that I didn't really like personally. But uh, DC Talk became really out there and and Michael W. Smith started doing some off-the-wall stuff. And so Dr. Billy Graham, again, put together a national crusade and D.C. talk with Michael W. Smith leading worship, Toby Mack leading worship. And we took a group up to Charlotte to the stadium there, took a bunch of older folks, because that's all we had at that time in 1994. And we sat there in the rain and, and listened to Toby Mack and DC Talk. And my, my older folks said, when's Johnny Cash singing? You know? And I don't think he's on tonight. Uh, but anyway, but Billy Graham was able to see that music was a means of grace. And God could use this music, sanctified music, to reach young people. So when I became a believer, when I was 15 or 16, right in that whole era of the 70s when all this was beginning to take place, Dave and I, my best friend, began to put together Christian coffee houses in the basement of churches, whether the Nazarene church, the Methodist church, the Baptist wouldn't let us come. But anyway, but it was Nazarenes, Methodist, and the Baptist hadn't quite opened up yet to that. And, uh, and we would, you know, get fluorescent lights and, 
and, and, and uh, black lights and, 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 and paint these posters. And we would put together a band and we would sing about Jesus. And we invite people to come and hear the gospel message. It was always about reaching them for Jesus. It wasn't to entertain them because we were pretty bad. But it was a way to invite them into the presence of Jesus Christ. And then fast forward, Dave and I then went off, got ready to go to college. And we wanted to go to Myrtle Beach. He wanted to go to Myrtle Beach. Taught me to go to Myrtle Beach. No job, no place to live. And we go to Myrtle Beach and we get a job at Lakewood Campground. And Dave's got his guitar. And I've got a guitar, but I'm not very good on it. And Dave's really good on the guitar. And so we, we, we want to sing at Myrtle Beach. We want to sing at Lakewood Campground. And, uh, and we kept asking for an opportunity, but they, you know, eh, maybe not. You know, you guys, you know, you're not sure you're good enough. And, uh, and we weren't. Uh, but anyway, uh, but there was a, a secular uh, cover band coming to Lakewood, uh, a group that you would know in the 70s, KISS. A, a cover band for KISS was coming. And Dave and I thought that was a bad influence uh, at that time in the early 70s. And so we began to pray that the Kiss Man cover band wouldn't show up. Well, that evening on a Wednesday, uh, Phil Perry, the owner of Lakewood, came to Dave and says, hey, Dave, can you and Jeff go down and play some music because the Kiss cover band is going to be late. And all we knew was the song we just sang. What is it you just sang uh, the, 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 in, the, in the video? Got the joy, right? We had, we had that song. We had Do Lord. We had I've Been Redeemed. And we had all those songs. We go down and play as a warm-up group. And people started booing, you know, because they came to hear Kiss, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, fast forward is they, they never showed up. Uh, Phil thanked us for going down. says, they'll be there next week. I says, Phil, they're not coming. He said, we mean they're not coming. So we've been praying. They're not coming. He said, oh, we got a contract. They'll be there next week. The Kiss cover band never showed up. And Dave and I then were given that Wednesday night to lead worship all summer. And we sang, do Lord. And we sang, I got the joy in my heart. And we saw people come to know Jesus Christ. Amen. It was a means of grace. And then you fast forward to a couple years, Dave and I thought we were getting pretty good. So we tried to take the show on the road and put together a band called Faith Incorporated. And uh, we put together, here's our band and our, here's our, here's our first and only album, uh, you can figure out who's who in the, in the back cover there. And, and our wonderful production team uh, put together a short uh, audio clip off of this album. Just since Grace Marie sang two weeks ago, I thought I'd roll it out, you know. So here we go. Check it out. 1978.
Lynn, Lynn was uh, in the group. She's going to be at, out in the hallway giving autographs later. And uh, uh, we didn't know we had to get permission from the Doobie Brothers. So we'll probably get a letter from their attorney saying that we can't do that. They've got to pay royalties for the last 40 years to the Doobie Brothers. But uh, anyway, we had a lot of fun. And, and again, the whole point was just to get in the door to share that Jesus Christ was the King of Kings and to share that God loved them and they had a plan for their life. I love this statement. As Methodists, we just don't believe doctrine in our heads. We sing it into our hearts. It gets into our hearts what we believe. Now, we encourage you to memorize Scripture, to learn Scripture. It's great to have God's Word in your heart, but also sometimes God gets a song in our heart. And he ministers to us through a song, and we sing that. Charles Wesley was so moved by his brother John's sermons on the means of grace that Charles Wesley wrote 6,500 hymns. And they are famous hymns. So how many of you know the two most famous Charles Wesley hymns after listening to his brother preach about the means of grace? We sing one of them at... Christmas and one of them at Easter, the two most famous Charles Wesley hymns. Which, what one do we sing at Christmas? Anybody? I wish it was a holy night. That was a good try there. But it's a good one, though. You got to learn your Methodist history. Hark the Herald Angels Sing is a Charles Wesley hymn. And then the great song at Easter we sing. Anybody know that one? Christ the Lord is risen today. What an incredible hymn that Charles Wesley gave to the church. All because he heard the gospel preached by his brother, John, 6,500 hymns later. You know, we sang a few minutes ago, our worship band led us in some means of grace, that God gives life an eternal spark, that you mend my broken heart. Your grace is patient. You never give up on me. You're the bondage breaker. You finish everything you start. See, I believe that God intends songs to change our lives, that God uses songs to bring us to a deeper faith. I know from the last 40 years of ministry that God uses singing to bring people to Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, singing is a means of grace. Singing is also a means of deliverance. The very first song in the Bible is Exodus 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to God, giving voice together. I'm singing my heart out to God. What a victory. God is my song and God is my salvation. God was leading his people to their home, the promised land. Now, many of the great African-American songs were written by African slaves as they were in the middle of a great exodus, in the midst of great suffering. Some of those we know as swing low, sweet chariot. Every time I feel the spirit, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Now there's a wonderful YouTube video out there by Wentley Phipps. He's the founder and president of the Dream Center. And he tells the story behind the most famous white spiritual song. And I think you'll recognize it, but since I'm retired as a singer, 
I'm going to invite Alex to come out, and, and I want you to join with him when you start to hear this famous spiritual. And, and then I'm going to tell you what Wentley Phipps says is the origin of this song. So when you get it, let's all hum along together, okay? Take it away, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you go to the Library of Congress, according to Wendley Phipps, and you look up the, the, the credits to Amazing Grace, you will see words by John Newton. John Newton, a slave trader, before he became a Christian. But under melody, it has unknown and Wentley believes that perhaps before John Newton became a Christian as a captain of a slave ship, he heard that melody coming from the belly of that slave ship. The African slaves humming what is known as a West African sorrow chant. And he heard that over and over in his head. And then God used that song to remind us whether we're black or white, free or slave, that we're all saved by the amazing grace of God. Amen? What comes out of your mouth when pain enters your life is what's most in your heart. A quote from Jim Thompson. Now, some of the lyrics we sang today are about deliverance. You sang, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. And some of you right now are in the middle of a storm. I'm going to sing a little louder, louder than my unbelief. Heaven comes to fight for me. I will praise you on the mountain when the mountain is in my way. And some of you listening today are facing a giant mountain. Your name, O oh Lord, can move mountains. With what seems impossible to you, is not impossible for God. Now, while we're being retro and in the 70s, one of my favorite bands out of the 70s was Simon and Garfunkel, right? Bridge Over Troubled Water. I know some of you are going, like, I don't got that. Bridge Over Troubled Water. How many of you, I just asked for a show of hands, have the Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits in your music collection? Come on now, let me see you. Yeah, you, know, you can get it. You can get, go get it, check it out. It's really good. Um, but I just read this past week that at 81 years old, Paul Simon had a dream. A dream to write an album entitled Seven Psalms. And Paul Simon says, I didn't even know what a psalm was. And these songs are an argument I'm having with myself about belief. This new album at 81 years old is Paul Simon's search for answers. 
He ends each of those seven songs with amen. And I'm praying right now, and you can pray with me, that Paul Simon comes to faith in Jesus Christ. That God's song will be louder than his unbelief. I'm praying that God's song will be louder than your unbelief today. Singing is a means of deliverance. Singing is a means of grace. And singing is a means of preparation. It's preparing us for what's coming. I believe one of the greatest needs among a people called Methodists is an assurance of your salvation. That you don't say, I hope I'm going to heaven. Or I think I'm going to heaven. But beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know that because of Jesus Christ in your life, that you can have the assurance of your salvation. And how many of these songs do we sing remind us of the assurance of our salvation? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face. But until then, I'm going to keep on singing. Until then, I'm going to keep on trusting. You see, I, I want you to have the assurance of your salvation. I'm telling you that the Bible teaches clearly that if you confess your sins... Repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and you invite Jesus Christ into your life, you will be saved. And you'll be given not only the gift of new life, you'll be given the gift of eternal life. And you can lay your head down at night and know that you're going to go to heaven. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's why at the age of 14, I knew that I needed to become a Christian because at the age of 14, I was scared to die. I would lay awake at night and go, what's going to happen to me when I die? And when I became a believer in Jesus Christ, that fear went away because the Holy Spirit gave me the assurance of my salvation. I believe songs is a means of preparation. Andrew Wilson says this, Christianity stares death in the face and sings anyway. We stare death in the face and sing anyway. And then I would say to you as a means of preparation that... that uh, uh, singing uh, prepares us for our assignment in eternity. I love the conversation that Billy Graham had with his good friend, Cliff Barras, the song leader that led all of his singing during all those crusades. They're near the end of their lives, and, and Cliff Barras says to Billy Graham, Billy, when I get to heaven, I've got a job. I'm a song leader. What's going to be your job in heaven, Billy? That's a great question, right? Because Billy, you spent your whole life getting people into heaven. Now, what are you going to do in heaven, right? And so Cliff Bear has offered Billy a job in heaven. You know, you can be in the choir, Billy. You can sing in my choir. You know, it's preparation, right? Now, I believe, take a little liberty here. I love, I love what's, well, I believe this. I, I believe in heaven, the Bible is clear that there will be serving going on. They will be given responsibilities in heaven. I, I'm thankful for responsibilities in heaven because I, I don't want to fly around on a cloud all the time, right? I don't want to have a harp all the time, you know. I don't want people harping at me all the time either, you know. I, I believe there's going to be ultimate satisfaction in heaven. Amen? And I got to believe there's going to be some sport in heaven. I got to believe there's going to be some fairways that are perfect. And I got to believe there's going to be no out of bounds. And I got to believe there's going to be balls that are just going to skip over water hazards, you know. I got to believe there's going to be fun in heaven, don't you? But also, I know the Bible is clear that there's going to be singing in heaven. 
Charles Spurgeon said it this way, brethren, we must begin heaven's song here below or else we'll never sing it above. Did you hear that? We got to sing it here or we'll never sing it above. The choristers of heaven have had all their rehearsals upon the earth before they ever sing in the heavenly orchestra. Heaven is not the place to learn the song. Heaven is not the place to learn the songs. It's here and it's now, and it prepares us for what's to come. Because when I'm out there playing that perfect round of golf, I can be singing, right? And I can be humming Amazing Grace as good as Alex Kilman can. It's going to be amazing to hear me do that. Uh, but that's going to be preparation, right? You know, the, the, the songs of the Bible remind us that suffering doesn't get the final word. That death does not get the final word. When God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea, the surrounding nations trembled. And when God defeats all evil on this planet, in this world, the nations will worship him. The nations will show reverence. And the saints will declare their new song. I love these words from Revelation. I want to read them to you. The last book of the Bible, Revelation 4, 8 through 11. Each of the living Beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Amen. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song with these words. We're going to learn a new song, folks. But we know the words now. You're worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And God's people said, amen. And then that last song in the Bible, Revelation chapter 15, which comes from the first song in the Bible, Exodus 15, I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. And on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Amen. Amen. God's word is full of song because God wants our hearts full of song. One of my favorite funerals, two funerals that took place here at Mount Horeb was, and you would probably recognize this family, but the gentleman was uh, one of the largest contributors to the University of South Carolina. And what a lot of people didn't know that his wife was a staunch Clemson fan. And for every dollar he gave to Carolina, he quietly gave a dollar to Clemson. And near the end of his life, he said, when he died and when we were taking him out of the church into the cemetery, 
he wanted a brass band to be playing I'll Fly Away. And we did. We played I'll Fly Away as we marched from the church into the cemetery. Well, it wasn't long after that his wife became very ill and we were preparing for her funeral. And she says, you know, when I have my funeral at the church, I want a brass band. And I want them playing when I leave the church to go to the cemetery. And I want them playing Tiger Rag because I want to have the last word. And we did. And we played Tiger Rag so she could have the final say. You know, song gets us ready for what God is about to do. Amen? I want to say a word about this skeleton. Now, I got to tell you, when our team comes up with these ideas, sometimes I'm really excited and sometimes I'm going, are you sure? You know, the evil one loves to take what God makes and steal it and make it bad. I mean, the skeleton, the poor skeleton has been hijacked by scary movies and hijacked by Halloween and made to be a bad thing, right? And I had my reservations about the skeleton. But you know, all of us have got one. They give us structure, they give us support, they give us strength. And the reality is, one day, if the Lord Jesus doesn't come back before we die, we're gonna, that's what we're going to be. We're going to be a skeleton. And did you know that if you walk out these doors and across the parking lot, there's a cemetery right over there. I'm just going to tell you, if you didn't know this, that cemetery is full of skeletons. It's full of bones. And what's interesting about that cemetery is it's laid out in a, in a distinct way. That all the caskets... And the heads are facing, the heads are facing to the west, so the casket's facing to the east. Now, why do we do that? Because we believe that the Bible says that one day, one day, that Jesus Christ is going to appear in the eastern sky. In fact, let's look at the scripture that tells us that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel, and what? with some music. The trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died will what? Rise from their graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we'll be with the Lord forever. Those bones, those skeletons are gonna rise again. You know, I didn't know this, but there are over 700 references to bones in the Bible. Bones remind us of our mortality. They remind us of how fragile we are. And one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible is Ezekiel 37. It is the valley of the dry bones. And God takes Ezekiel into that valley of dry bones and skeletons and says, watch this. And the Holy Spirit moves across that valley of dry bones and those skeletons become to, alive and begin to come back together. And it's, a, it's an image of what God wants to do for his church, what he wants to do for his people. He wants his church to become alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Dry bones living again. That's my vision for the church, the body of Christ that God will bring a great awakening and a greater renewal. And I'll guarantee you, a part of that great awakening will be some good music. There'll be some great preaching and some great music. 
because that's how God works. Amen? Aren't you glad? I don't want to sit for an hour and a half and listen to a sermon. I got to sprinkle a little music in there. You know, this worship team has set the stage, right? For us to preach the word of God. And we're going to close with an incredible song in just a moment. It's called Reason to Praise. I want to, I want to put the words on the screen. We're going to sing Reason to Praise. Let me just say, if you don't have a reason to praise God today, it is my prayer that before you walk out of these doors, you will have a reason to praise God. That you'll know that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins. And that this, this mountain in your life, this burden in your heart will be lifted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's look at these words, incredible words. When you come around, say them with me. When you come around, dry bones come to life, deserts to paradise, stones start rolling away. When you come around, my heart starts to beat again, lungs stretch to breathe you in, souls just erupt in praise because you're the God of the breakthrough. I believe that today God is wanting you to have a breakthrough. He wants to break into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit to meet your needs. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the gift of song. Thank you for the gift of melody. Thank you for the gift of words. Thank you for the Charles Wesleys of the world. Thank you for the Toby Max of the world. And Lord God, I pray that you would take these next few moments and take all these words and the words of this song and through the Holy Spirit that you would break through and give us a reason to praise you, not as timid believers, but as excited believers. May you be glorified, may you be honored, and I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.